so glad you could join us for mornings at YCVC today. We want to thank you for being a part of our online family and we hope that this message encourages you, blesses you and helps you grow in your walk with him. So let's get into the word. Well, good morning once more. Um, yeah, it's a joy uh, to be with the church together, gathered uh, with God's people. Um, so thanks for being uh, along this morning for the journey. Um, uh, so we uh, began this year in Galatians, uh, and the desire to uh, begin in Galatians was, was a desire to recenter and refocus uh, on the gospel. The good news, that gospel just means good news. <clears throat> and so uh, Galatians begins, as we started a few weeks ago, with uh, the reality that there is no other gospel. There is no other good news apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ, sacrifice for our sins, raised to new life. And, and if we add anything to that, if we add any extra requirements or obligations to that in order to be saved, then it's no gospel at all. And so last week we, we, we dug a little bit deeper into that to, to think about how does that show up uh, in, in the way that we live out our faith? Are we living by works uh, trying to be pleasing God by good deeds, good works, or through our belief in Jesus. And so this week we, we turn to the idea of identity. And so this message this week, if you're a note taker, you can write at the top, gospel-shaped identity. Because uh, this week I want to explore what Paul has to say in the reading that James read for us this morning about what our identity is because of the gospel. But I want to begin with, with prompting a few questions for us to ask ourselves. What, what do you allow to shape your identity now? If you think about who you conceive yourself to be, what, what things do you allow to shape your identity? What shapes who you believe yourself to be? I, I want us to ponder those questions in our heart and mind as we begin this morning. We're going to turn to what the gospel says we are, who the gospel says we are. But, but I want us to think about, well, what am I listening to? What am I allowing to shape me in my self-understanding? Is it the words of others, positive or negative? Do we rely on, on what other people say about us? to shape our identity, that we don't have this sense of who we are, so we're allowing other people's words to shape who we are. Is it our social position? Is it our, our job title? Is, is what is written on your job title who you are? I've entered a, a season for the next few months where I've got two of those. One says church health facilitator. One says, Senior Pastor of Yas Community Baptist Church. Is that who I am? Is that what I'm allowing to shape who I think I am? Is your ethnicity what shapes your identity? Is it your social media feed that is shaping who you think you are? Is it friends? Is it family? Or is it your family history? What are the things that you're allowing to shape who you believe yourself to be? Because we, we want to turn to the gospel, but unless we understand what's underlying our sense of identity already, then the gospel is just another thing on top of that, rather than something that replaces that. We, we need to think about what's shaping our identity already. 
And as I was thinking about this message this week about the idea of being shaped by the gospel, I just was reminded that God has always been in the business of shaping us as his people. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, going right back to the creation of Adam, it says, Then the Lord formed a man from the dust, kind of like molding him together of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And so our relationship with God begins with him shaping us with his hands. Later on, much later on, in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 8, we're told, uh, this is the prophet speaking kind of in dialogue with God, yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter, we are the work of your hands. That, that thousands of years after Adam, that God is still in the business of shaping, of molding his people. And so this passage, I want us to look at it through that lens this morning. Through the lens of being shaped. If, if the gospel is the tool of God to shape us, to mould us into who he's called us to be, then what does this say? The Apostle Paul is talking about who we really are. And who the gospel shapes us to be. And so Paul begins by talking about our former identity, our, our pre-gospel identity, the, the thing that all those other things told us we were. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 23 and 24, he says, Before the coming of this faith, before it, we were held in custody or held captive under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian under Christ, until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. And so Paul says, before faith came, before Jesus came, before we had faith in him, the law or, or the moral code held us captive. And so in context here, the Apostle Paul is talking about the, the Jewish legal code shaped by the Old Testament. Uh, but in Romans, he talks about a similar thing and he says that there's, everybody has this sense of a moral code. Whether you were part of the Jewish nation or not, there's this, this moral code that has held us captive. There's a positive sense of this. Paul talks about this, this moral code as a guardian almost holding us in check until Jesus came. There is a positive sense of the law being the thing that shapes and guides God's people, shapes and guides people to behave in some sense of moral rightness. Until Jesus came. There is a positive sense to it. But he also uses the word captive or prisoner. Uh, this is because we're captive to a burden we couldn't possibly carry. Yes, the, the law kept God's people in check. Kept them in some kind of shape. That would represent God to the world before Jesus came. But, but it was also a burden that they could not possibly carry. And whether that was the Jewish law or some other moral sense of, of, of rightness, karma, <clears throat> you know, don't be a jerk. What, whatever our moral code is, it keeps us in check, but it is also a prison that we cannot possibly be good enough at to please God or even to live up to. I mean, if our moral code is simply just don't be a jerk, then we're all a jerk from time to time. Even when we set the bar that low. 
we're held captive, we're prisoners to, to this thing that, that can never give us life. Paul says, if life could have come through the law, then Jesus wouldn't have been needed. But we're not just held captive to, to the law, the moral code, we're held captive to sin. In John chapter 8, verse 34 to 35, Jesus himself said, Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. And so Jesus says, and Paul says as well elsewhere, that we are, were slaves to sin before this faith in Jesus came. And that we had no place in the family, and by that he means God's family, the family of God's people. We were outsiders, we were orphans. And so before the coming of this faith, before our identity shaped by the gospel, we're caught between two realities. The moral prison that crushes us because we can't possibly live up to it. <clears throat> and slavery to sin that destroys us and our soul. That we are caught between these two realities of trying to be good enough. And the destruction of sin on our life. That we're slaves to it. The, the compulsion to sin. That's what slaves to sin means. That, that we can't not sin. We're caught between two different kinds of slavery before the coming of this faith. Our identity was as slaves, as outsiders, as of orphans, as of captives, of prisoners, of those crushed under the weight of two opposing realities. And so it gives fresh depth of understanding when we, when we look at that through that lens to Jesus' words that, from Isaiah that he affirms about himself in Luke chapter 4, I have come to set the captives free. That's just not a reference to prisoners literally in prison. That's not just a reference to Israel held captive under the Roman Empire. That is a reference to each and every single human being that has ever lived under slavery to sin and held captive to a moral code. That is who we were though. Not who we are. And so whatever these other things are saying about us, whether it's words telling us that we're horrible people, uh, whether people are affirming us, whatever, whatever other sources of identity we have telling us who they think we are, this is what we've got to put aside. See, some Christians live in this space of, oh, I'm just a, a horrible sinner. That's who we were. That's not our identity now in Jesus. We live under this groveling space, this captive space. Or, or we live in a space of just like, well, Jesus has come, so yeah, I can just sin now, freely. It doesn't matter. Well, Jesus came to set us free from those realities. And so the Apostle Paul goes on in Galatians chapter 3, verse 25. Now that this faith has come, so this is a different Reality. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ and have clothed yourself with Christ. And so Paul 
affirms that now this faith has come. We are no longer prisoners. We are no longer slaves. In fact, Jesus himself in John chapter 8, when he's talking about slavery to sin, says the same thing. I'll read the whole thing now. He says, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And so our identity is no longer as slaves because Jesus has set us free. We have a new identity through faith in the gospel and that identity is as children of God. That is your gospel-shaped identity. You are a child of God. In fact, we are sons of God. And, and the original Greek language here is sons. And later on, you'll see as we get to that, as James read, it picks up, it switches from, from children to sons. It'll also be made clear in a moment, if you didn't catch it about the gender stuff in a moment, this is not about gender. It's not saying the boys, the men are now children of God. And so let's call it sons. It's, it's a reference to the social hierarchy of the day in which Paul wrote this, in which Jesus lived. Not so much in affirmation of it, but in the reality of it in the day that to be a son in the household was of a higher status. To be a son was to inherit, to be an heir. And so Paul is saying that you have gone from the lowest possible social standing of a slave, that was the lowest you could be in um, the society at the time, to now being a son to inherit. Now, just to make it clear in a moment, we're going to talk about the gender stuff, but, but Paul is saying whether you are male or female is not what's important. You are now the status of a son in God's household. As a child of God, you are in the most privileged position in God's household. Because we've been baptized into Christ, which is... Uh, you know, baptism is really important, but it's also uh, Paul's kind of catch-all phrase. He has these phrases for our coming to faith in Jesus. And so we've been entered into Jesus. He also says we've been clothed with Christ. That, that this is part of what shapes our identity. And so one way we can think about that is, is, is like lots of different jobs have uniforms. I know those of us that uh, work in, in healthcare, that we, we don't wear the same clothes that we wear as a child of God on Sunday morning when we be a nurse on Monday morning. We, we put on our nurse uniform and that identifies you as nurse. Uh, if you're a police officer, you put on your police officer uniform and that identifies who you are. Even those that, that don't have... Uh, a set uniform, have a particular style of dress. Kings and queens wear crowns. That's kind of their I'm, I'm a king uniform. And, and so that's how we can think about uh, we have put on in putting on Jesus, in clothing ourselves in Jesus, we've put on the uniform of a child of God. That we're now his children. That's, that's our identity now. We have the name badge that says Nicholas Gordon Barber, child of God. Not church health facilitator or pastor. Nicholas Gordon Barber, child of God. Amen. And you, you have your own uniform. 
But it says the same thing. It just has your name on it. Annabelle Newhouse. You're the closest to the front and center. You wear a badge that says Annabelle Newhouse, child of God. I mean, mum and dad are pretty cool, but that's cooler. But as I was thinking about this being clothed with Christ, another perhaps more gruesome analogy comes to mind. I grew up on a farm and, and uh, when, a, when a mother animal has, has a, a, a child, a calf or a lamb, um, they have all the milk ready to go. And so if that offspring passes away, we don't have kids' church on this morning, so I'm careful with my language, um, that mother could, can suffer a lot of pain and distress because um, both their, their um, child is lost, but also they've got all the milk ready to go. And so what can happen is uh, you get another animal to come and take the place of that child, often if it's a cow from a dairy, um, they've always got calves they're looking to pass on. Um, but what, can, what normally would happen in that space is that the mother won't accept that child as her own. Uh, and so what can happen is you can clothe that calf in the sacrificed flesh, to put it in Jesus' language, of the deceased animal, and the mother will accept that animal as their own. And so this just blows my mind when I think about Jesus being the sacrificial lamb for us that we are now clothed in, that, that we don't wear our own flesh in a sense when we come to the Father. We're, we're wearing Jesus. We are clothed in Christ who has died for us. And so when we come to the Father, we are accepted not as a reject from a dairy farm, not as a, an orphan, not as unwanted, but as Jesus himself. We are welcomed by the Father as if we were Jesus himself, because we're clothed in Christ. It's on our name tag, it's, it's his flesh that we wear as we come into the presence of God. And so through the gospel, we are accepted as the Father's very own, as children of God. This is our, our gospel-shaped identity. And so what, what does that mean for us? Well, firstly, it means that we can have intimacy with the Father. Paul says this in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. <clears throat> Pardon me. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, Father. And so we have intimacy with the Father. That, that word Abba is, is the language of intimacy in Aramaic, it's, it's, it's the equivalent in a sense to our word daddy, but not quite because, you know, our word daddy can be kind of informal as well. Abba is this word that speaks of closeness and, and intimacy and belonging and connection. And, and so because we are children of God now, we have intimacy with the Father. We have closeness with him and, and the Holy Spirit is in our hearts to bring us into that relationship. The work of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of the Son, is to draw us into intimacy as sons and daughters of God. <clears throat> we aren't, if you're familiar with the, the story of the prodigal sons, we aren't meant to be outside, cranky sons, but, 
but not really participating in what it means to be a son of the Father. We're meant to be close, intimate on the inside, and the work of the Spirit is to draw us into that place. And so just this morning, Dan said I don't make it up as I go, but this morning I did a little bit during church, didn't make it up, but I felt prompted to, to think about Jesus' own sonship. And, and if you don't know the story, Luke tells us a little bit that the other Gospels don't, that when, when Jesus was about 12 years old and his family travelled to the temple, um, probably with a large group of people, and then they travelled home, they realised it was a little bit of a home alone moment, we've forgotten Jesus. We thought he was with someone else, but we haven't. And so they searched for him everywhere. And then eventually they found him in the temple uh, discussing the things of faith with the rabbis. And, and so when they went to Jesus, they're like, oh, you've driven your mother and father crazy. How could you treat us like that? And Jesus replies with this um, in uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 49. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Jesus, the child of God, the son of God, had this sense of closeness to the father that that was just the natural place for him to be, in his father's house. So sometimes, not that church building is equivalent to temple, but sometimes we make the gathering of church a chore, a job, a, a, a hassle, and yes, we're talking about volunteering and that's to spread that load, there's things to be done, but, but ultimately I want us as a church to come to this place that, that we wouldn't be anywhere else, that we have this intimate relationship with the Father so that the place that we would want to be is in his house, with his people, worshipping, talking about what our faith means, equipping and encouraging one another, that, that we are... When people might ask us, you know, where are you? Well, where else would I be? I, I, I'm in my father's house. And, and that's not just a Sunday morning church thing. That's, that's an everyday lived thing as well. It's a broader reality of where else would we be but in a place of intimacy with the father. That when we wake up in the morning... We're in the Father's house, and by that I'm now meaning a, a place of intimacy and connection with Him. Uh, that when we lay our head down, down to sleep, that, that we're in our Father's house, that we, that we go about our days dwelling in our Father's house. That because church building is not equal to temple, that that reality has changed and that the, the Scriptures now say that, that we are the temple, that the body of Christ is the temple and we individually are the temple, that, that we should live with that mindset that I'm in my Father's house, where else would I be? I think that there is a special sense of that when we gather together and I don't want us to lose that, that sense of, well, my Father's house is the place I want to be. But I do want us to capture the, the intimacy that Jesus had with the Father. That, that there's no other place. He was shocked by his earthly parents' question because, well, where else would I want to be? And so our, our being children of God gives us intimacy with the Father. But it also gives us an inheritance. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 7, the Apostle Paul says, So you are no longer a slave, but God's child, and since you're a child, God has made you also his heir. And so we are heirs of the kingdom. We are uh, people who have a f secure future. 
You know, we've lived in a season of, of COVID and, and for some that's meant job insecurity, income insecurity. Uh, for some that has meant uh, uncertainty about the future. But, but because we're a child of God, we can, we can be sure that our future is secure. Whatever comes in this life, no, no matter how uh, fragile our existence in this life may be, we can, we can be confident that our, our future is secure because we are heirs of the kingdom of God. Elsewhere it says we are co-heirs with Christ. And so what that means is that, that what Jesus earned on the cross, what he accomplished in his overcoming of death, what is due to him because his status as the only begotten son of God, we inherit as well. Simply through faith in him. All that is due to Jesus. All that he receives as an inheritance, we receive as well with him. We're not second-rate children. We're not, okay, you can be a part of the family, but you, know, you eat after the real family is eaten. We are full members of God's family. And so that is our identity through the gospel. We are <coughs> children of God. So much so is that identity significant that it makes other marks of identity irrelevant or insignificant. In uh, Going back to it a little bit, to Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, the Apostle Paul says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seeds, seed and heirs according to the promise. And so the gospel makes all other marks of identity irrelevant and or insignificant. Not that we can't have, a, have a, a good sense of our cultural heritage and celebrate that and the diversity of human life. But when our identity is shaped by the gospel, those identities are insignificant. They're not the fullness of who we really are. These Things that Paul lists were the major identity and status classifications of the day. From a Jewish perspective, you were either Jewish or a Gentile. From a broadest perspective, you were either a slave or a free person, and ultimately you were either male or female. That these were the three big questions, the three classifications that broadly and most significantly defined your status, your identity within Paul's day. And so the same could be said of all of the different things that we might say shape or classify our identity today. Rich or poor, ethnicity, gender, job, nationality, fat or, fat or skinny, whatever, whatever shapes or identities we want to classify people into, the Apostle Paul would say that they are no longer valid, important, or significant because you're all children of God. And so we need to stop finding our own identity in these things. We need to stop identifying others in these categories in terms of their identity. What matters is that we're children of God through faith in Jesus. And so I asked you to think about this morning when we began 
Hannah, you can start giving people faith that we're nearly finished. I ask you to think about what you allow to shape your identity, what you allow to form your sense of who you are. This morning I want to finish by asking, is your identity shaped by the gospel? Or in other words, do you know who you really are? Do you know who you really are? And so I'm going to pray in a moment that the Holy Spirit would come and do what the Apostle Paul says is his job in Galatians chapter 4 verse 6. And I'll read that again to remind you. But I want to encourage you in this moment to, to push aside, to sweep aside everything else that would try and tell you who you are. And let nothing but the gospel of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, whose job is to confirm what it says in your heart, tell you who you are. So Heavenly Father, we this morning sweep aside everything that seeks to tell us who we are, that we seek to hold on to to give us a sense of identity. Whether they're things that we, we love what they say about us or, or hate what they say about us, we, we sweep them aside this morning. And we call out to you and say, we want to have a gospel-shaped identity. We want to know and believe who we really are in you. And we invite the Holy Spirit to come and, and do what it says in Galatians 4, 6. Because we are his children, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, who calls out Abba Father. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you to come upon each of us this morning. Come and fill our hearts and cry out, Abba, Father, teach us the language of intimacy. Teach us what it means to be safe and secure in our identity as children, in intimate connection with the Father dwelling in his house. Come, Holy Spirit, come and do within us. Come and shape our identity in a way that words never could. In Jesus' name, amen. And so as Hannah plays and sings, as always, you're free to jump straight in and sing along, but I want to encourage you to dwell in that space for a moment and just even just ask the Holy Spirit, who am I really? Let the Holy Spirit minister to you and uh, when you're ready, join in uh, and then we'll, we'll close in prayer in a moment's time.
And so may our lives be transformed by that truth. May we live it more fully from this day forward that we are children of God. He is a good father and he loves us. May the knowledge of that truth be the greatest defining reality of who we are. May everything else take shape from it. And we pray, especially for the Yas Valley Father, that more would come uh, into a space of being adopted as your child. More would be baptized into Jesus' name and more would be clothed with Christ. That more would be taken from slavery to sonship. We pray for a revival across the Yass Valley and we pray that you would begin a revival within each of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. As you head back into your week, we want to encourage you to stay in His Word, stay in His love and stay strong in your faith. Don't forget to keep up to date with what's happening via Facebook, Instagram or via our website at ycbc.church. See you soon.